How y'all doing? How y'all doing? This is Alvin from Trying Success on the Old Fashioned Health Network. Good health inside and out. And welcome to our Black History Series. And my very first guest is one of my favorite people, period. That is oh, Dr. Clarissa Hines. Hey, Doc, how you doing? Hello. How are you doing, Alvin? I'm doing great. Can you please tell these people a little bit about yourself? And then we're going to get into this whole thing about oh, medicine. Wow. That's what this is about today. Gotcha. Um, so I am Dr. Carissa Hines. I am the executive producer and host of my own health and wellness radio show, your favorite health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. That is a part of the Old Fashioned Health Network. Uh, we air every week on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and talk about a variety of health topics, wellness topics, ranging from physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, financial health, um, you know, any topic that may be helpful uh, to the community there, we cover it. We are in our second year, almost, well, we're a year and a half in now. Yep. And so, um, yeah, which is exciting and, and crazy. And it went by really, really fast, didn't really, it? Really fast. My goodness. Really fast. So um, a little bit about me. Uh, I am a native of Norfolk, Virginia, and attended the University of Virginia and did my medical studies at Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. And I mentioned that because since it is Black History Month, Meharry Medical College is the oldest uh, HBCU medical school. Uh, it is in Nashville, Tennessee, founded in 1876 mm-hmm. and is responsible for educating approximately 40% of all African-American physicians that are actively practicing in this country. Wow. So I am a very, very proud alumna uh, of Meharry and you know love to shout that out whenever I can. Uh, after Meharry, I came to Atlanta and did my training in internal medicine at Atlanta Medical Center, and since then have worked in um, various uh, aspects of medicine. Currently, I am in working in emergency medicine. So that's me in a nutshell. So the first question that you gave me, um, well, not the first, you gave me four, but I wanted to kind of go in reverse today um, and talk about... So you were asking me about diseases that impact African-Americans more so than other parts of the community. Um, You know, of course, there was a question about COVID and we definitely will will touch on that. But uh, I'm hoping the way I have formatted my questions that will kind of build to um, build to that when we can kind of end our discussion talking about COVID, because all of the other questions that you asked me kind of tie into what's going on with COVID in the African-American community. Okay. Okay. So when we're talking about diseases um, that affect African-Americans, you know, we have to look at two separate columns um, there. So the first is, you know, the um, intrinsic factors, the things that affect African-Americans because of who and how we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So those things are like your genetics. So if you're born black, you're born black. There's nothing that you can do to modify that. Right. right? Right. Um, And then, of course, your gender. So there will be some diseases that will affect you more often and more severely if you are male and some that will affect you more often and more severely if you are female. And again, 
from a genetic standpoint, nothing that you can do um, to change that. You know? Then we look at the the extrinsic factors, and I want to tackle that first. Okay. Um, so, you know, those are the things you asked me a question about um, disparities in healthcare, and those are the factors that affect us that we can control somewhat mm-hmm. um, depending upon depending upon circumstances. Okay. All right. So what do I mean by that? When we are talking about um, African-Americans in particularly with chronic diseases, um, we see that African-Americans are diagnosed with diseases later in the progression of that disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to do with we stress in the medical community about early detection. Right. Because, of course, the sooner we can detect a disease, the more aggressive we can become and we can most most of the time have better outcomes with that disease. However, if you are diagnosed with high blood pressure after you've already had a heart attack, the damage is done. Mm. That's not to say that you can't improve that things can't improve from that point but that's a later point of diagnosis than what we would like to see so if you're going to have high blood pressure for example i would like to see you when it's just high blood pressure when it hasn't affected your heart when it hasn't affected your brain when it hasn't affected your kidneys and in the uh, case of men when it hasn't affected your your sexual organs because that that's that's a factor as well. Let me ask you a question. All right. Sure. So preventive health to me is one of the main focuses that I think would help, help us a lot. But a lot of times sure. we think that uh, high blood pressure can or cannot be genetically a genetic thing. Cause there are some people from just as a lay person that uh, I'm thinking that some people can actually be just born with a gene where they have high blood pressure. True. And yes. then some of us like that have high blood pressure, but it's due to something that we've, uh, ingested a cause, a cause ourselves. Most certainly. So, you know, with many chronic diseases, you know, there is that genetic component that puts you at risk mm-hmm. for having a disease. But then there are the modifiable factors. So, for example, um, your weight, diet, exercise, mm-hmm. um, smoking or not smoking, alcohol consumption, all of those things are things that we can control Mm -hmm. that will have an effect on whether we either develop a disease in the first place Mm -hmm. or how well we control that disease once it once it occurs in our bodies. So the youngsters youngsters that are out there now that are getting the black and miles and all those kind of things, are you telling me that that could cause high blood pressure? That smoking, yes, yeah, okay. smoking definitely contributes to um, the development and worsening of high blood pressure. Yeah, you know, it's amazing when you start doing the research and you look and see how things are interrelated mm-hmm. um, in terms of disease onset, disease progression, and you know the outcomes of these diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and smoking is just such a a horrible habit in terms of the devastation that it can cause in someone's body. So, you know, we all think about smoking and the immediate association is with lung cancer. Right. But smoking plays a part in diabetes. It plays a part in heart disease. It plays a part in in hypertension and stroke. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it can cause, you know, devastation 
everywhere uh, in the body. Skin cancers mm. um, can happen as a result um, of you know, being exposed to the cigarette smoke and such things. You know, it, it really can do a number um, on a lot of, of chronic diseases. Mm. Um, so, you know, coming to a diagnosis late, mm. um, you know, you have a worsening um disease state when when you come to a diagnosis after you've had high blood pressure that has been undiagnosed let's say for years um and then you know you have really severe high blood pressure at the time of your diagnosis or you have had a consequence of that heart attack stroke Mm -hmm. kidney failure right right um and that sets you up for what we call an increase in morbidity so morbidity is um sickness So you are more sick when you are diagnosed later in the progression of the disease Uh, and also mortality, which is death. So, you know, you have an increased risk. The worse your disease is or the more severe your disease is, you have an increased risk of actually dying from that disease or from complications related to it. Um, And, you know, we do see that with the lack of access that we see in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. And that is for all diseases, whether they are um, more common in the African-American community or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, uh, cancer. We know that because of these disparities in healthcare, that cancer is diagnosed later in the progression of the disease, and there's more devastation as a result of the disease in the African American community. So those two things kind of tie in hand in hand. Okay. Um, you know, so that's why we always preach preventative medicine or yeah. early detection um, with diseases, because we know with so many diseases, if they are detected sooner than later, there's a better chance for a better outcome. You asked me about diseases that affect African-Americans in particular. Um, So, of course, African-Americans get all the diseases that other ethnicities get. Um, But let's just focus on a few. And I I wrote a few notes down. So when we talk about high blood pressure, um, one in three African-Americans is diagnosed with high blood pressure in the United States. Um, And a lot of that has to do with what we call a salt sensitivity. And that is a genetic um, sensitivity to salt. So you have some people who, you know, are just pouring salt on their food and they're fine. And some people pouring salt on their food and it raises their blood pressure up to dangerous levels. Those individuals are what we call salt sensitive. And so in African Americans with high blood pressure, about 73% of those high blood pressure patients who are African American have salt sensitivity. Okay. Um, so, you know, that is where those those modifiable factors like monitoring what you eat, mm-hmm. monitoring how much you exercise really come into play. So that doesn't mean that you won't get high blood pressure if you don't eat salt. Mm-hmm. It just means you have a better chance of controlling it if you control those other factors. So diet, exercise, smoking. So for example, the diet and the sodium thing. One of the things mm-hmm. that I always tell people, you know, you, you may see a person sprinkle pop salt on their popcorn, but mm-hmm. it's, it's as potent as it is when you're eating processed food and see how much salt is already 
in the processed food, let alone talking about the salt that you sprinkle on top of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, most certainly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's salt is salt. And yeah. it doesn't really, um, you know, how wherever it comes from, the mm-hmm. the effect that it can have in your body is the same. Yeah. So but, you know, but here it is, you know, so that comes into into the economics. And that's why I'm glad mm-hmm. that you asked these questions, because it really is such a complex mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. you know, or the answers are complex. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the production of food, you know, most of the food that has to have a shelf life has to be preserved. Right. Right. And right. salt is the cheapest preservative that you can can get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from an economic standpoint, from a business standpoint, it makes sense to use the cheapest preservative that you can so that your product has the longest shelf life right. Right. and therefore more people can buy it over a longer period of time and exactly. you know you can make money that way and you can stack them to the roof because you got plenty you can room. exactly you can keep you know you can keep canned goods you know what a year two yes. sometimes yes. longer and it is all because of of that salt preservative mm-hmm. that is that is in the food now how can you get around that um, when you pull vegetables out of a can you can rinse them mm-hmm. and that rinses away some of that sodium oh okay before before you cook it. Okay. So you can do that and that can, um, you know, that can reduce the amount of sodium that you are right. consuming, okay. um, you know, and also draining from the can so that you're not um, cooking in the actual juice that is contained within the can. Right. It's a lot of sodium. Um, you know, so those are ways that you can cut that. You won't cut it, you know, it won't be zero. Right. Right. Um, you know, that is what you would get if you are preparing fresh fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, goes into another uh, another part of of why African-Americans um, struggle so much with worsening disease. So when we talk about food deserts, yes. so how many people of color, not just African-Americans, but people of color live in food deserts where they don't have access to fresh food and fresh foods and vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. And right. Yeah. And, and we all have to eat. And then also, too, and I don't know if you have noticed this when you go to the grocery store, but the fresh foods cost significantly more. Yeah, I've noticed that. And uh, yeah, I always tell people to go to farmer's markets. Go to farmers markets. We give you a better option. Uh, as far if as you have, if you have that in your community, that's true. And access to even getting there if you don't have, you know, and access to, to getting there. Yeah, there you wow. go. So you know, so you see, you know, and, and we all, and I always want to fight against the narrative that black people don't want to be healthy. Yeah, we know that's You know, true. that is so not true. Yeah, yeah. There's so many other factors that we don't take into account Mm -hmm. mostly because we don't know and don't really take the time to consider all of those things um, that, you know, there are things that they can't help. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you don't live in a community that has ready access to a farmer's market Mm -hmm. or, or something similar, how are you going to get fresh fruits and vegetables? Right. And if your local grocery store does not carry fresh fruits and vegetables, because how many people, um, you know, in the African American community live in closer proximity to one of these smaller markets? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right where where the selection is going to be limited. Right. 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 And then also too, when you look at the economics, so you know, even if you eat fast food, if you go to a fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm going to use McDonald's and I'm not picking on McDonald's or anything like that, but I just as an example, time. it's okay. I pick I'm not going to pick on McDonald's. They know um, but if you look at the price of a hamburger versus the price of a salad, mm-hmm. if you are on a limited budget, so let's say, you know, you have three or four or five miles to feed in your family, you can buy five hamburgers which will be way cheaper than buying five salads, mm-hmm. and your family is is somewhat your family's fed. Yep, you 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 are fed right? and because prepped for, for the hospital. Well, yes, but here's the thing: you know, for a lot of us, you know, the goal is getting your family fed. Right. Yeah. However, you do that. But see, Doc, I'm gonna tell and, you the thing about just yeah. getting us fed. The problem I have with that is you're only getting your kids fed temporarily because the nutritional value in that food gonna make you hungry like 30 minutes later. And then y'all, you know what I'm saying? You eat that kind of food. Now you know how many times we've gone out to you go out to eat, right? And you go get mm-hmm. some pizza or or some other kind of food, Chinese food or something like that. Sure. All of about an hour and a half, a good two hours after that movie's over, you're like, okay, so um, what we what we're gonna go eat at after this? Because there's no nutrition value and don't don't hold you, you know? Most certainly. And, you know, and that has to do more so with the protein value Mm -hmm. of of what you eat, because those are going to be the proteins are going to be the the nutrients that are longer lasting and release a little bit slower. So that way, once you feel full, you stay full for a while. Exactly. But again, that so that's meat just as as a main protein. Of course, you can get it from from vegetables and soy and such things. Um, But even just looking at the cost of meat. Yeah. You know, so if you depend on if and it all depends on what your what your economic status is, Mm -hmm. how many miles you have to feed. Right. Right. And so, you know, there are a lot of families of color that are making hard choices. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of where the dollars go. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, when we talk about back to diseases that affect African-Americans, okay. we're talking about heart disease, the number one killer of all Americans across all ethnicities. Mm. But of course, African-Americans will be more severely affected because of lack of access coming to diagnosis late, lack of referral to specialists. Mm-hmm. And maybe you live somewhere where there are no specialists. Right. So how are you going to to go? You know, I work in the emergency room. I work in small communities where there is no specialty care. There is no cardiologist. So to get to a cardiologist, you've got to drive 40, 50 miles to get to one. Mm. What if you don't have a car? Because there is no public transportation that's going to take you there. That's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is how real people are living in 2022. Um, You know, and then, like I said, there's a disparity for referrals um, for specialists. So, you know, double double edged sword there. So one, you may live in a community that does not have access to special to specialists. And then two, if you're going to uh, a doctor that may have some implicit bias for a lot of different reasons, um, then you may not get that referral to that specialist. Um, And then there, there are special diseases like sarcoidosis, which is a lung scarring disease. Okay. Happens more often in African Americans for genetic reasons, and we don't know why okay. um, that happens. And so then you have, you know, respiratory issues, lung breathing issues, um, and then there are complications um, from that. Um, asthma, 
Okay. Another respiratory disease. African-Americans are three times more likely to die from asthma. Mm. You know, and these are things that we consider very simple, you know, because who doesn't know someone that has asthma? Yeah. Right. And yeah. and the thought is they take their inhaler and they're fine. Um, but asthma is a very, very serious disease that that, you know, people do die from. Yeah, from I, that. I had asthma when I was a kid. And uh, mm. uh, one of the things my doctor had said when I remember being, remember as a young kid that hopefully you would grow out of it. And I remember right. somebody telling me that swimming was the best thing for asthma because it, it strengthens your lungs. Mm-hmm. And so far, I so and I grew out of it. So, yeah, and and I have a friend from from high school who had asthma throughout high school, and unfortunately, she had an asthma attack and did not have her inhaler with her, mm. and unfortunately, she passed away. Wow. Just because so imagine if you are someone who is uninsured or underinsured and you can't afford your inhaler. Right. Wow. Okay. You know, there you there you are. So, you know, so that's why I'm saying it all all of these these factors are very are very much so intertwined. They're very circular um, in nature. And it all comes back to, you know, some of the same themes Mm -hmm. throughout all of these disease processes. When we talk about cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, black men are 50% more likely to die from cancer compared to white men, even though the exposure to tobacco levels, it's, it's less. So less black people are smoking, less people in general are smoking nowadays, okay. um, thanks to you know messaging and marketing. Um, but even when you compare tobacco exposure, if a black man has less exposure compared to a white man, he still is 50 percent um, more at risk of dying from from lung cancer. Wow. OK. Even when you even out some other things, um, when we talk about stroke and cerebrovascular disease, African-Americans are four times more likely to die from stroke. Wow. Mm. Medical shows, which are very, very popular. And make my job a little bit more difficult because people think that just because this is what happens in an hour on whatever medical show, that this is what is really possible within that same 60 minutes in the real world. And no, you know, that that's not it either. Um, So, you know, a lot of influences um, out out for us Um, when we talk about sickle cell anemia, which is. It is something that affects um, African-Americans more often. Um, there are other other ethnicities that are affected by this as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, lastly on my list, which this is not an all inclusive list, um, but for the sake of time, um, when we talk about lupus, mm. um, lupus affects more African-American women compared to other women of other ethnicities. Okay. There and has and has some consequences. Um, so, you know, so those are, you know, the factors that we have to um, take into consideration um, when we consider diseases that affect the African-American community, the intrinsic factors as well as the extrinsic factors that are playing a simultaneous role in how we experience disease in the African-American community. So when we talk about racial disparities in healthcare, so just to give you a few numbers, okay. um, according to the AAMC, the number of black physicians in 2019 was 45,534 black physicians, male and female, compared to 516,304 white physicians. 
So there are 10 times as many white physicians as black physicians actively in this country as of 2019. And I'm sure that that percentage has not varied tremendously. Of that 5%, 3% are female. So there are currently 24,000, as of 2020, 24,000 African-American female physicians in this entire country. When we talk about, um, because you asked me about medical students, Mm -hmm. there are currently enrolled um, or accepted for the 2021-2022 academic year, 2,200 African-American medical students. So when you just look at just a strict numbers game, mm-hmm. you know, there aren't en- en- enough African-American physicians to go to places to take care of our entire African-American community. So then that leads me to talking about access to care. So, of course, you have the medical deserts that we spoke about mm-hmm. where you have, um, you know, lack of access to primary care lack of access to specialty care um, and it depends on on where you live so if you live in more rural areas you know of course your um, the number of doctors that you have available to you may be limited that's right yeah because you know most people want to live in you know larger cities where they have access to stuff you know and can provide um, you know a different lifestyle or whatever lifestyle that they want for their families right. um, there can be communication difficulties cultural barriers um, stereotyping and implicit bias so now let's let's take a few minutes to talk about those things right. um, you know oftentimes when I'm speaking to African American patients, you know, of course, we're we're able to code switch, right? Yes. So I can use my ten dollar medical words when called upon, but then I can also use regular, everyday man on the street language, okay? Right to communicate to my patients, okay. but not everybody can do that. So you have instances where patients are not understood, and then also mm-hmm. don't understand what is being said to them. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people are not empowered about knowing what's going on with their health because I can't tell you how many times people tell me, oh, I take this little white pill. Well, what's the name of the pill? I don't know. <laughs> well, why are you taking it? I don't know. My doctor told me I needed to take it, so I'm taking it. So when we talk about the implicit biases, so, you know, there have been studies about these unspoken subconscious biases that exist in healthcare, And it is not as simple as a white black thing. Okay. Right. That that is, of course, a part of it. Okay. Um, But there are some things that are not malicious. So, for example, For example, you know, there are um, some doctors who believe that people of color experience pain in different ways than other communities. Mm -hmm. Not true. We all feel pain the exact same way. Now, some people will have more of a pain tolerance, less of a pain tolerance, but that has nothing to do with your race. That is strictly an individual, um, an individual thing. And they right? currently think that you're experiencing. There's people that currently think that right now, right? Yes. 
And so, you know, when you come, when you talk about uh, African Americans being treated for pain, they may not have their pain as effectively managed because of that belief. Right. Um, And then also, too, there is the um, the I know best bias. And so, you know, some of my colleagues, unfortunately, um, don't listen as well as we should to our patients. So I'll use Serena Williams as an example. You know, she's a famous example of this, um, that she was experiencing um, after the birth of her child, experiencing pain. Um, And so, you know, this is a woman who's a world-class athlete. So she has experienced pain in her life, right? Right. Um, So she would know if she is hurting. Right. And, you know, this is not someone who could be labeled as a drug seeker because that happens a lot, too. Right. Um, You know, that people think that folks just want to get high off the pain medicine. Mm -hmm. And those people do exist. Right. You know, being honest. Um, But she was feeling short of breath and she reports that, you know, she was not listened to. And it turned out that she had a blood clot in her lungs. That. that could have very well killed her right. had someone not taken her complaints seriously and, paid her and done their due diligence. Right? right. So that happens. Okay. Then when we talk about the, the lack of access all in together, and that comes down to a lack of insurance. Right. So um, the Kaiser Family Foundation reports that 11.4 percent of blacks in 2019 had no health insurance at all. None. That is even in the advent of the um, the ACA, also known as Obamacare, right. that still 11 percent had no health insurance. So if you have no health insurance, that does limit your access. Right. Now, anybody can go to the emergency room irrespective of your ability to pay. But you go to the emergency room, you get seen, you will get a bill. And so there's that. Yeah. Um, but. The treatments that come from that visit. So if you don't have insurance and I'm prescribing medication that may be expensive, Mm -hmm. how are you going to get it? Because you don't have the financial resources to pay for that medicine or at least to supplement the payment for that medicine. And, you know, of course, when we look at our Medicare, Medicaid guidelines, a lot of those 11.4 percent don't meet the criteria to even access that assistance. So there are a lot of people out here who are just flying without a net. Right. Um, In 2021, the Congressional Budget Office reported that 31 million people of all ethnicities in the United States did not have health insurance. So, you know, the the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, you know, was supposed to help eliminate that disparity. And it did do very well initially. But in the last three or four years or so, the enrollments have been have been lower because of the rising costs of participating in the ACA and the limited number of insurance companies um, that are participating in the ACA. So um, there was. I thought the Mm -hmm. enrollment had gone up, but I guess it hadn't gone up, huh? So the enrollment, when it first came out, and I want to say 2016 was when it first came out, that Mm -hmm. that the enrollment was very, very high. Yeah, yeah. Very high. But then once the um, administration changed and there were so many legal challenges to the law, 
that were successful, you know, because at first it was, you know, all insurance companies had to participate in the ACA. But then when the law changed, um, a lot of insurance companies decided that they did not want to participate in the ACA, which they didn't want to to begin with. Um, But now that they don't have to, they are not. And so when you look at the ACA, the the options that are available, there are very few products that are actually available and affordable. Uh, What I Mm -hmm. want people to understand when it comes to racism, you may be thinking that you're hurting another race, but you're hurting yourself as well. You know, it, it almost certainly well, it does. It doesn't do you any good to hate on me because if I'm hurting, you don't know yet, but it will directly hurt you as well. But that's the thing that's so pervasive about hate mm-hmm. that, you know, I meet people who are not black, mm-hmm. who definitely could benefit from having the coverage under ACA. Mm hmm. But the hate is so strong that they would rather go without even if it hurts themselves just so that you and I can't have it. Well, you know, it, it is it is hard to be in medicine these days, mm-hmm. um, you know, particularly in the past two years, okay. almost two and a half years, especially since COVID has come. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that has placed an additional strain on an already strained system. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, that. COVID has come to the forefront and the medical burnout and people leaving medicine now that that has become a part of the story and become a part of the broadcast in the media. um, You know, now people are becoming aware, but it always had been happening, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So for example, when we look back at the numbers this year, you have 2,200 African-Americans in med school. That's not nearly enough. That's not nearly enough. That ain't even enough to help our own community. It's not. So let's say you have 2,200 in each of the four classes because med school is four years. Okay. So you're still less than Mm 10,000. So you're producing, you know, in a four-year span, less than 10,000 new doctors, all of whom will not choose primary care. Right. Right. You know, because they're going to be surgeons and, and, you know, radiologists and all of that in the mix, too. Right. So, you know, so the number that will be going into into preventative health and primary care is low. And, you know, and that's and let me just say, you know, that's not to say that you can't get competent care from someone who doesn't look like you. Right. But when in 2022, I am still meeting black people who tell me they have never in person seen a black female physician. Let me hit these last two about racial disparities. Okay, go ahead. So they're environmental disparities. So, for example, 71 percent of African-Americans in this country live in communities that violate the federal pollution standards, air pollution standards. Okay. So 71 percent of African-Americans don't live somewhere where they have clean air in the United States. So if you have asthma, there you are. Right. And then, you know, when we get down to um, funding and research. Mm -hmm. So a lot of research dollars do not go to finding out why African-Americans are more severely affected. Why are they getting these diseases in the first place? What things can be done 
you know, for these diseases. So I'll give you an example. Um, when we talk about sickle cell anemia, mm-hmm. right? So we look at the funding, the research funding that goes for sickle cell anemia, as opposed to the research that goes towards cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. which predominantly affects white people. Mm-hmm vast difference in in the number of research dollars that are going to those two diseases and you know we can ask ourselves why and i'm sure that there will be you know a lot of um, oh i know i know okay interesting no you well i'm not gonna call on you because <laughs> i know what you're gonna say you're gonna misbehave and we are not gonna do that today oh I really appreciate you. Thank you so very much. You are so welcome. Being a part of this segment, this series for Black History. And y'all, I'm telling you, Doc is really, really good. I've called on her, even when it wasn't related to me, and you always answer. Thank you. I'm specifically happy you're going to do the series on Black COVID-19 for this Black History segment. Y'all look for that. That's going to be really, really good. Um, Doc, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Have a great day and happy Black History Month.